thank God for that. Well, tonight, I guess, I, as I indicated, I'll be preaching in the book of Joshua chapter 4. Trust you found your places there. Joshua chapter 4. And I promise you I won't be uh, long tonight. I just want you to pay attention and uh, say amen. You say amen. And I know you get it. The quicker I'll be able to move along, you know. <laughs> You know, when a teacher um, knows that the class gets it, they move along and they session you, but they think you don't get it, then they got to repeat and reiterate, all right? So uh, help me out tonight, uh, Joshua chapter 4 and verse number 19. The Bible says, and the people came up out of Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of Jordan, the Joshua pitch in Gilgal, and he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you, until ye were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us, until we were gone over." that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that he might fear the Lord your God forever. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for being Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you for ministering to our hearts in a special way, for drawing us to yourself, even when we didn't deserve it, even though we have failed you so many times. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, dear Lord, and as we put our faith and trust in you, that you literally uh, come to live inside us and to guide us into all truth. I pray as your word goes forth tonight that you would use it in a special way to speak to hearts. There's someone here tonight who does not know you as personal Lord and Savior, that tonight with, with the night of their salvation, that every believer will be challenged and strengthened to be closer drawn to you. I ask for your blessing. Give me the words you love me to say. Cleanse me of sin, empty me of self. Fill me with your precious Holy Spirit that I may preach what thus said the Lord and will be careful to give you all the honor and glory in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. As I observe graduations, and of course we just had one recently, and I look at the young people walking across the stage to receive their certificates and their awards, it's very natural for me to reflect on what seems really like yesterday when I was in high school, graduating from high school, graduating from secondary school, and graduating from sixth form, it seems like time is just literally flying. It's hard to believe that just was yesterday, I feel like I was in primary school yesterday, and time has literally just seemed to have evaporated. And I think of a few years after graduating from sixth form, I had the opportunity to further my studies in the U.S., in New York, and I remember leaving Nevis, and at the time, they had flights between St. Kitts and Nevis, took a five-minute flight over on Nevis Express to St. Kitts, and then from there to Puerto Rico, and then there to New York, and I remember the thoughts that were racing through my mind as I left my home for the very first time, to live in another country. And I thought of all the expectations that existed. Church had had a send-off for me, and 
giving me warnings of what I should do and should not do, given all that had been invested in me and all that I had been taught. And I left going to the big city from the little island. And living in New York was not foreign to me as a place that had been there many times before, but living there was going to be a new experience. And one of the things that I found myself often having to do was to take the time to explain where Nevis was. That Nevis was not a part of Jamaica. Nevis was an island that was a part of a twin island federation. I mean, sometimes, listen, you will take, you have to say, you know where Sinkitz is? Okay, no, I've never heard of Sinkitz. Okay, you know where Antigua is? Okay, yes. Okay, you know where Antigua is? Well, about 50 miles or so from Antigua uh, is these islands and help them to figure out where Nevis is. And as I went to City College there in New York, you find yourself in a place where no one knows you and no one is familiar with where you're from. You are extremely excited and overjoyed to find any fellow West Indian. So you find uh, somebody from Sinkis, which I did find. Listen, they seem like your blood brother. You find somebody from Trinidad. You find somebody from Jamaica. You find someone else from Dominica. And I latched on to professors who I found, uh, who were individuals who taught me, who had a good friend from Jamaica, uh, who were good friends. I lost track with her, but because you have some commonality. Another professor I had from Trinidad. And you develop these friendships. Why? Because you now have something in common. You're West Indian. And I thought to myself, why does it take us getting into a situation where we are isolated, where we are the only one to embrace people? Shouldn't it be that we appreciate and those who are around us and who we have in our presence all the time? It shows the truth of the saying that you never miss the water till the well runs dry. And I've observed and I feel to our shame at times that we tend to gravitate to things that separate us rather than the things that unite us. For example, in politics, we allow ourselves to be divided by politics or people's perceived political affiliation. Oh, he's a CCM. No matter with he. He's an, she's an NRP. No matter with her. We allow, allow ourselves to be divided on economic status. Oh, they have money. I'm a poor man. We allow ourselves to be divided on social status. Oh, they're the big shots. I'm the little man. We allow ourselves to be divided on skin color. Oh, we are the light-skinned ones. They're the, the dark-skinned. What about nationality? I'm a born here, man. They're the foreigners. We allow ourselves to be divided based on island. I'm a division. They are kittishans. We allow ourselves to be divided even based on place of residence. I'm a tongue man. He's a countryman. 
Y'all know what I'm saying is true. We allow ourselves to be divided based on vaccination status. I'm vaccinated. I'm double boosted. They are unvaccinated. We even allow ourselves to be divided based on COVID diagnosis. They have COVID. I got flu honor. And I've found that people prefer to say they have flu honor than to say that they have COVID. I mean, I have heard multiple people, even family members, nobody gonna put my name in no book, say I got COVID. So I have flu honor. You didn't have to acknowledge yourself. How about we say we are residents of Nevis? How about we say we are Caribbean nationals? How about we say we are human beings that unites all of us? You see, my friends, the God of the universe intended for us to see ourselves as one people. In the beginning, God created one race. That is the human race. And the God of this universe created man for fellowship with himself. And anything that goes contrary to that is contrary to God. And it has been the desire and continues to be the desire of Shiloh Baptist Church to Promote God's perspective on people. That, my friend, was the thrust for this church on the leadership of then Pastor, Pastor Emeritus, Pastor Eric Maynard, that the Non-National Appreciation Day was birth. It was intended to practice a simple truth that God intended for the church to be a place for all people. A church that does not promote and practice this fails to accomplish its foundational purpose. The Great Commission, which is the church's marching orders uh, in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 and 20, Jesus speaking just before he was about to ascend into heaven says to his disciples and to the church by extension, Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Mark chapter 16 and 15 says, and he said unto them, go ye into what? All the world and preach the gospel to what? Every creature. God has always been about all people. And with this in mind, I want to very briefly tonight preach a message entitled, One God, One Community. One God, One Community. In our text in Joshua chapter 4, we understand the context here that God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, had just crossed over Jordan. And they were now being led by Joshua, who had succeeded 
Moses. Joshua understood the heart of God, that even though the nation of Israel was chosen by God, they were God's special people, and because God chose them, that's really what made them special, but they were chosen to be a light to all nations. They were chosen to be God's representatives, God's ambassadors to all the world. And so with this in mind, once they miraculously crossed the Jordan River, I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse number 24. And we'll focus on our thoughts on this verse tonight. Because all that Joshua did in chapter 4 was with the goal and the intention found in verse number 24. And I want you to look at it with me tonight here as it says that all the people of the earth might know. That the hand of the Lord, it is mighty. That he might fear the Lord, your God, forever. Now I want to just draw a few things from your, for, to your attention in this verse. And tonight, and focus, first of all, that number one, that there was an intentional approach. An intentional approach. Now, the background to this chapter is that they had crossed the Jordan River. And the twelve tribes of Israel that had crossed. Joshua had one representative from each tribe, from each tribe, who would take stones out of this Jordan River. And they created two memorials. They took stones from the river, and while the Jordan River had been parted, which miraculously God did to allow them to cross, they took 12 of those stones and placed them in the center of the Jordan River. And they took another 12 of those stones and created a second memorial on the banks of the river. So one in the Jordan, one on land. I won't take the time to read all those verses, but you can find this in verses 1 to 9. Look at verse number 9. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there unto this day. And then in verse number 20, it says, And those 12 stones which they took out of Jordan, the Joshua place in Gilgal. Notice the intentional approach of Joshua. Joshua understood that as the leader of the nation of Israel, that they were there to be a light to all nations, that we indeed and they indeed served a great God. Earlier in this chapter, he says, when your children ask, how did these stones end up in the middle of a Jordan River? No one could have done that. No one, how could they do that with a, with a river that's overflowing its banks? Then that would allow the fathers and the parents to let the children know this is none other than the work of the living God. And he miraculously parted the Jordan River. There had to be an intentional approach. You see, my friends, those of us who name the name of Christ, we're going to have to establish some intentional memorials, if you will, some intentional landmarks that will alert our children and those who come behind us that there is one and only one true living God. We're going to have to establish some landmarks of holiness. Holiness. Living a life that, that's not continually contaminated by sin. We're going to have to live uh, with some landmarks and some memorials of faithfulness. 
of commitment to God day in, day out, day in, day out. My friend, that is the definition of faithfulness. Consistency. We're going to have to establish some landmarks of integrity. That what I do when I'm all alone is the same thing that I do when I'm being watched. Some landmarks of integrity. We're going to have to establish some landmarks of loyalty. Husbands and fathers that believe in the institution of the home, the family, the way God designed it. My friend, if we are not intentional about these actions, they will not happen. Joshua recognized the need for there to be an intentional approach. But notice with me, secondly, that this intentional approach was for an inclusive audience. Look at what that verse says again. It says that some of the people might know. Is that what your Bible says? It says that all the people of the earth might know. My friend, this audience includes you. This audience includes me. And I'm so grateful that the God of the universe has always been about all people. God sees us as one people irrespective of the color of our skin, irrespective of our nationality, irrespective of our race. One of the most controversial and divisive topics that can be discussed by us as people is the subject of Race. It's a topic that stirs up within us the deepest and the rawest of emotions. This past week, interestingly, I came across an extensive dissertation on the origins of race in, at Britannica.com. And I read, <laughs> very interestingly, an article is entitled The History of Race. And I don't have time to tell you all the details. It was quite lengthy. But a number of things struck me as I read it. And here are a few things that came out to me. That the formalization of the idea of race is a recent construct that first appeared around the 15th, 16th century. And it is primarily formulated based on social and historical factors rather than physical factors. It was driven by individuals and groups who felt that they themselves were superior to other groups of people. And here's what also stuck out to me. The idea of race has done great damage to the psyche of us as people in keeping us, get this, apart rather than bringing us together. From this same expose, I want to read for you what was an eyebrow-raising section as it, related, as it relates to rather the division that this concept of race has caused and propagated among people. Now, this subsection was titled race and the reality of human physical variation. And I quote, listen to this. Scientists have known for many decades that there is little correlation 
between, quote-unquote, race, used in its popular sense, and actual physical variations in the human species. In the United States, for example, the people identified as African Americans do not share a common set of physical characteristics. There is a greater range of skin colors, hair colors, and textures, facial features, body sizes, and other physical traits in this category, speaking of African Americans, than in any other human aggregate identified as a single race. You still with me? Features of African Americans vary from light skins, blue or gray eyes, and blonde hair to dark skins. Black eyes and crinkly hair and and include every range and combination of characteristics in between. American custom has long classified any person with known African ancestry as black, a social mandate often called the one-drop rule. This principle not only attests to the arbitrary nature of black racial identity, but it was also presumed to keep those classified as racially white, pure, and untainted by the blood of low status and inferior races. This rule has not applied to other racial mixtures, such as children born of white and Asian parents, although some of these children have suffered discrimination because of physical similarities to their lower status parents. All this gives clear evidence of the social arbitrary nature of race categories in North America. Why am I simply reading this? To help us recognize that man constructs facilities to divide rather than to unite. But my friend, thank God that he is a God for all people. Amen? Amen. This, 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 this thinking is foreign to God himself. It goes against the plan of almighty God. And no matter who you are, as the song says, red, yellow, black, or white, they are precious in his sight. One God. One community. Uh, God is a God for all people. He is an inclusive audience. Notice the intentional approach, but notice thirdly, the important awareness. What's the important awareness? That all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord, that it is what? Mighty. That all the people of the earth might acknowledge, first of all, the position of God. Why? He's uh, the self-sufficient one. He's Jehovah. He's Yahweh. Notice in that verse, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Jehovah, Yahweh, the self-sufficient one. Listen, God is a God who is on the throne all by himself. It's a position of control. It's a position of authority. It's a position of dominion. He is king of kings and lord of lords. The importance of awareness is that we understand his position. We understand his power. He is mighty. Our God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And with all of the modern advances in our technology and medicine, man is often apt to Think of himself as more powerful and mighty than he really is. 
That is why God brings mankind to his collective knees with things like these pandemics so that we could recognize that we are not all powerful. I have a question tonight. Why is it that we often only respond to crises to acknowledge our limitations? It seems to take hurricanes for us to run to call on the name of God. It seems to take pandemics. It seems to take wars or the threat of wars or economic hardship. And God is saying, listen, I'm in the same place we have been all along. It's an important awareness of his position, of his power, and of his preeminence. You see, my friend, there is no God above this God. There's no entity, no king, no president, no prime minister who is above this God. You know, in our legal system, oftentimes when a verdict is brought down by a lower court, what is often done? Appeal. We're very familiar with the term. Why? Because, okay, uh, you said uh, you ruled against me, but I'm going to appeal to the higher court. And even sometimes when that comes against, we say, okay, I'm going to go to the higher court. But my friend, when God delivers a verdict, there is no higher court to, to appeal to. He has the final say. Why? Because our God is preeminent. And it's very important that this awareness is drawn to our attention. But notice with me finally tonight that Joshua understood that the children of Israel had an important agenda. That this awareness that would include all the world would bring every person to an individual action. Look at this verse. It's very interesting that the first part of the verse speaks of people in a corporate sense. That all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty. But look at the last phrase. It says that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. Look at the shift in the, in the emphasis. Look at the shift in the pronouns. That all the earth might know. But when it gets to the last part, it says that ye, that's a, another word for you, might fear the Lord your God. In other words, when God reveals himself for who he is to you, God expects each and every person to respond to him for themselves. That you would make a personal decision in accordance with what you have been made aware of. Now here's something we must understand. That God deserves to be acknowledged. God deserves to be worshipped. God deserves to be praised. God deserves to be thanked. He deserves to be adored. But my friend, when it boils down to where it meets, as we say, the rubber meets the road in each and every one of our lives, because of God's position, his position deserves from each and every person a response. An individual response. You see, my friend, we cannot truly acknowledge God as the God of the universe, as the King of kings and Lord of lords, and ignore what he says. Those two things don't mix. 
you can't go on a job and introduce, be introduced to the supervisor. And when you're introduced to the supervisor, you decide of your own accord, listen, I know you're the supervisor, but I don't take instructions from you. You probably will be out the door faster than you came in. You tell your, your supervisor, your boss, you know, I get my instructions from elsewhere. And let's say you know the owner or maybe a bigger boss than him. Imagine if the supervisor were to take the team out to lunch. And after you have flexed your muscles because you figure you have contacts. And you know people in high places. And all of a sudden you go to lunch with the supervisor and all of a sudden you're saying, Man, come take pictures with me and my supervisor. He would look at you and like, are you serious? Would he be impressed? My friend, God is not impressed. When we call him Lord, we call him God. And when he tells us what to do, we say, God, I don't really listen to you. You don't call the shots in my life. That's why Jesus expressing the same sentiment said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I what? say? You see, God is not impressed by calling him Lord while living in blatant disobedience. Why is that? Because it makes our so-called worship Nothing but empty religious rituals and routine. These things, my friend, on their own, apart from obedience, apart from submission to the will of God and the word of God, are of no value to God. And so tonight, as we think of this great God of the universe, we think of the fact that this God deserves to be worshipped as the one true living God. We think of the fact that he has always desired to have a relationship with mankind. That each and every one of us would recognize, God, you are indeed the God of the universe. But your desire has always been, more importantly, to be the God and the Lord of my life. Would you be willing tonight to place this God on the throne of your life and to make him Lord. That's his desire. And that's the goal of this church. And every Bible-believing church ought to have the express purpose of letting this God be known through all the world. I trust tonight that no matter who you are, as a human being, that you recognize there is one God. This God, amazingly, because of his love, desires to have a personal relationship with you and me. And tonight, I trust that through something that has been said here tonight, through the word of God, through the music, through the fellowship, through a smile, that we've been able to communicate the love of this God to draw you into a personal relationship with him. Emmanuel, God 
with us living where inside